Uh, Father God, we want to thank you so much for the gift it is to gather as your church. As we come to your word right now, Lord, we pray that you may speak to us. Uh, Spirit, we pray that you may convict us and change us, uh, that you may point us to your son, Jesus, or the father's son, Jesus, that we may glorify him and want to be like him. Uh, Lord, we pray that you may change us. And for those of you who do not know you, I pray, Lord, that they may come to know you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, when it comes to change, uh, I'm going to be generalizing here. There's two different types of people. There's people who like change. There's people who don't like change, right? So if you think of people who uh, like change, according to Forbes.com, uh, a recent uh, quiz they did, about 38% of people like change, 60%, 62% of people don't like change. But for those who do like change, these are the sort of people that like new things. They, they like variety in life. They like going to new restaurants, trying new foods, going to new cafes. You know, they hate, for example, locking contracts, and they like going to websites such as change.org. You know, these guys like to make a difference in the world. They like technology and innovation. If I'm honest with you, in terms of the spectrum of people who like change, people who don't like change, I'm probably more over here. I like change. I enjoy it. To give you an example, uh, I've been married for seven years now, but I've lived in eight different houses. Now, I'm not going to... Sorry, to give you an example... I don't like changing every avenue of my life, right? My wife, my wife is my girl. I love her. I'm not changing that. Let me go back, all right? So my wife and I have been married for seven years, and we've changed where we've lived eight times or seven times. And not all by choice, but I'm going to be honest with you, we've quite enjoyed that. We've enjoyed living in different places. I like change. On the other end of the spectrum, though, there's other people, maybe you, who don't like change. That's okay, you're not like me. Uh, but if you are someone who doesn't like change, you're the sort of person that likes going to the same holiday destination, year in, year out, the same time of the year. You know your annual leave, you know when you're going to take it. You like going to the same restaurant week in, week out, you know, to that Chinese restaurant around down the corner from your house. And you order that same meal of honey chicken because that's your favorite. But it's also the only meal you know that they sell because you've got no idea what else they sell. Like, if you're someone who doesn't like change, you're someone who loves loyalty cards, locking contracts. You know, you're someone who dreams of being locked into a 30-year mortgage. You know, you're someone who, when you go to a cafe, you enjoy it when they say, do you want the usual? And you're like, yes, yes, definitely. These sort of people, you know, they hate it when there is updates on their computers. You know, they do not like change. My children, I have two kids, one who's two, one who's five, and because they're children, they don't like change. If you change their routine, there's anarchy, you know? Like, if you bath them before dinner rather than after dinner, they just can't understand it. They hate change, unless it involves chocolate or McDonald's, and then they love it. They're all on board. Like, let's go. I don't know how you respond to change. I don't know if you're someone who hates it or doesn't like it or someone who loves it. But either way, no matter where you sit in that spectrum, the one thing that we all have in common is that there are things in our life that we wish we could change. Things in our life that we wish we could change. How do I know this? Let me give you a, a thought experiment. I want you to pretend that there's a guy called Bob, uh, and he's right next to me, right? Everyone say, hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. Okay, this is Bob. He's right here. <laughs> pretend he's here. I want you to pretend that uh, Bob is as rich as Bill Gates. I want you to pretend that he's athletic as Michael Phelps, that he is as smart as Einstein, that he is as talented as Beethoven, that he is as patient as Rod Bailey, who's our senior pastor here. Um, you know, I want you to pretend that he's as friendly as Ronald McDonald. I want you to pretend about Bob, right? And I, and I want you to pretend Bob is here, right here, right now. And if I ask Bob, hey, Bob, is there anything you'd like to change in your life? 
but we put up his hand and say yes. There'd be lots of things you'd want to change. How do I know this? Because we live in a broken world where there is death and where there is suffering. How do I know this? Because life is a series of one decision after the next decision. And all the time we do things that we wish we, don't, we didn't do or we don't do things that we wish we did do. All of us, got, all of us have got regrets in our lives. All of us have got some shame which, in, from choices that we've done. All of us. No one accepted. You see, like, I don't know about you, but daily I think about how can I change. Like literally when I wake up in the morning, like I'm thankful for how God has blessed me in many ways, especially my wife. But I am, as soon as I wake up and I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh, I want to change that beard. You know, I want a more hipster beard. I want thicker, you know, more dense. Like I don't know about you, but when I think of physical characteristics, I, I want to change. When I think of my character, I want to change. When I think of my preaching, I wish I could change. Like I want to be slower and not so quick as some of you already think. You know, in many ways, I want to change. Or my condition, for example, and, and the different things that are going on in my life. You know what? There's the good news of the gospel, which we're going to learn about tonight, is that Jesus is a God who changes people. That Jesus is in the business of changing people. Jesus changes people. That's a big idea of this sermon. That's a big idea that I want you to take home, that he changes people and he can change people like you and me. You see, tonight we're going to look at Luke chapter 5. And in Luke chapter 5, we learn about three stories where Jesus changes people's lives. And Jesus has been doing this basically since he started his ministry. In Luke chapter 4, he was healing the sick, casting out demons, preaching the good news of the gospel. But in Luke chapter 5, the, the author of this gospel, Luke, slows things down so that we can see three specific stories of how Jesus changes people's lives. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look through these three stories, we're going to go through them, and we're going to chat about how Jesus can change your life, will change your life, and wants to keep changing it. Um, but heads up, before we dig into the passage, I don't want to give you any false impressions uh, that Jesus is like a genie uh, that you can rub, and then all of a sudden he's going to change you into that hypothetical Bob, or if you're a woman, let's call him Boblina or something. Um, like, Jesus is not in the business of necessary changes the way that we expect, Matter of fact, he changes us in ways that we don't expect. But the good news is, is the way that Jesus does change us does lead to greater joy and satisfaction and delight than we could possibly imagine. And so with all that in mind, let's have a look at Luke's gospel. and Let's have a look at Luke chapter 5 and let's begin with the story of the fishermen who were changed by Jesus. And so let's read the first uh, three verses. Uh, one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, I can never say that word. Another word for it is the Sea of Galilee, by the way. That's where they are. Uh, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Right, stop there. So what's going on here is Jesus, like he's getting some momentum, right? He's becoming famous. He's someone who's got great teaching, but also he's a healer. And so there's lots of people who are crowding around him, want to listen to him, be healed by him. So much so that Jesus needs a better platform to preach from. And so he sees these fishermen who at the end of their shift, they're washing their nets. You know, they've, they've probably fished all night. They're tired. They want to go home. And then Jesus says, hey, can I borrow your boat so I can go into the water and we can use the water like a natural acoustic so I can preach and people can hear me speak, just like I'm using a microphone tonight. And so the fisherman, a guy called Simon, says, yeah, no worries. Let's go do that. And then Jesus preaches uh, to all these people, and then eventually he gets to the end of his sermon, basically, 
And then he asked Peter to do this, or another name for Simon. He says in verse 4, he says, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And then Simon says, uh, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. I want you to picture yourself, if you're Peter right now, or, he's, or Simon Peter, he's the same person, Simon or Peter, let's call him Simon Peter. I want you to imagine that you're Simon Peter right now, uh, and Jesus asks you to put the nets back into the water. Like, if I was Simon Peter, man, I'd be like, oh, Jesus, we've worked hard all night. It's like, we've washed the nets. Like, it's now daytime, not nighttime. It's not a good condition. The fish are not around. Uh, like, like, it's not going to work. I'm a fisherman. I do this as a job. And look, like, you're obviously... A, pretty impressive guy you're a preacher but you're also a carpenter by trade i know what i'm doing there's not gonna be any fish here that's what i would have been like but instead what we see is peter actually he puts his faith in jesus and he says this he says because you say so i'll let down the nets and what happens well of course the nets fill up with fish the nets start to break because there's so many fish and then the boats start to sink like this is a good catch you know this is a huge miracle as Jesus demonstrates his power over nature. And I wonder if you take note here of how Peter responds. Like, I don't know about you, but if, like, if I was a fisherman and I was in the business of catching fish and, you know, like this stunt occurred for me, or miracle, I should say, and we caught all this fish, I'd be like taking photos. I'd be putting on my, my Facebook account. I'd be putting on my website, like check out what we can catch. I'd be dancing for joy. And yet what Peter does... Well, let's have a look in verse 8. It says this, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. It's really important in this passage that we see how Peter reacts. And what he does here firstly is he humbles himself before Jesus. I don't know if you know this, but this is, he, he falls down um, onto his, sorry, yeah, he says he fell down onto his knees. What's quite common in the Old Testament is whenever people meet God, they fall down on their knees. They fall down on their face before God. If you think of Moses in the book of Exodus, if you think of Isaiah or Jeremiah, those prophets, when people come in the presence of God, they can't help but fall down before him. You see, Peter's humble himself before Jesus. But more than that, he says, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. He acknowledges his sin just by standing in the presence of Jesus. But not only that, he acknowledges who Jesus is by calling him Lord. Before he called him Master, now he calls him Lord. His response here of humility is important for us to pick up. You see, Jesus is in the business of changing people's lives. And he rocks up and he changes these fishermen's lives. He changes their day from a bad day of no fish to a glorious day of lots of fish. But you know what Jesus wants to do even more than just give them a good day's catch? Let's have a look at verses 10 and 11. Let's see what Jesus says to these fishermen. Jesus says this after they're amazed and a little bit anxious. He says, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. And so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. You know, it's almost like Jesus basically says, look, Peter, I don't just want to change this day for you. I want to change your whole life. I want to change your occupation, your purpose, your destiny, your legacy. I want to change your life. And how does Peter respond to Jesus' words here? He puts his faith in Jesus. 
Like, did you notice what Peter didn't do here? When Jesus is like, you're going to come now fish for people. Peter's not like, yeah, okay, sure thing, Jesus. But like, that was a really good catch. And there's a lot of fish there. And so like, I'm going to go to the shops. I'm going to go to my distributors, restaurants. I'm going to sell all these fish. I'm going to make a good profit. I'm going to give the, you know, the money to my family. You know, maybe buy some property, some shares, get some security in life. And, you know, I'm running this business. So I've either got to sell that business. So I've got to find work for my men. You know, I've got to go to Gumtree. I've got to sell my boats if I want to do that. Or, you know, sell all these nets. Like, there's a lot of work to do, Jesus. Let me do those things and get comfort and security, and then I'll come follow you. What we're told is they left everything and followed Jesus. What incredible faith. They even leave this incredible catch once in a lifetime, or even more than that. See, Jesus is in the business of changing people. Like, I wonder if you thought about this, right? Like, Peter, James, and John, these three men who became three of Jesus' disciples, they were ordinary men ordinary fishermen, working class men, probably not educated men. And Jesus shows up and changes their lives. They end up coming through the most important men in history as they plant churches, proclaim the gospel, and as some of them also write parts of the Bible, the most popular book in history. Jesus changes people's lives. And I think it's important before we move on to the next story to see how he does this with a leper that we notice, I want to make this clear, Peter's reaction to Jesus. He responds by humbling himself before Jesus and by putting his faith in Jesus. See, the truth is, is we want Jesus to change our life as well. We need to respond in the same manner. If we want Jesus to change our life, we need to humble ourselves before him. If we come before him in arrogance and go, yeah, I don't really know if you can change my life or do anything, then he's not going to. If you, if you come before him without faith, then once again, you're not going to get anywhere. Jesus changes people's lives. But let's see how he changes the leper after we've just seen how he changes the fisherman. And to do this, let's look at the scriptures again and let's read to us uh, verse 12 to begin with. It says this, While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. Let's just stop there. Uh, I've been out of home now for a while. I've been married to my wife for uh, seven years. I've got to get this right. Uh, before I was married, when I was 19, I moved out of home for the first time. And I moved to a place called Wagga uh, for nine months. And when I went there, six months in, I learned a lesson about hygiene. What I discovered is that you need to wash your bed sheets. Didn't know that, right? Like for 19 years of my life, you know, just magically, I had clean bed sheets week in, week out. Don't know how it happened. And so I discovered, okay, you need to wash your, your bed sheets. Uh, my brother-in-law, Joe, he moved out of home uh, recently, last year or so. Uh, and when he moved out of home, he moved into an apartment complex with, I think, two or three other guys. And so their bathroom was filthy. And so he really wanted to clean it. So he was determined. So what he did, he's got those blue, you know, washcloths, uh, Kleenexes or whatever they're called. And he got some a bottle of um, bleach. And so he just went to town. He just covered the bath, the shower, the sink, the walls, everything. It was sparkling clean. It was mint, right? This was a good-looking bathroom. And he was really proud of himself. Until the next day, when he woke up with bleach poisoning, you see, he didn't wear gloves. He didn't even wear shoes. And so he had bleach poisoning all over his feet, all over his skin, his hands. And I remember seeing him in his incredible pain. And I was just like, oh, like away from me. You know, like if I'd never come across leprosy before, but I was like, that is what leprosy would look like. Now, there's a reason why most of us here probably haven't come across a leper. And that's because, truth be told, it's actually quite curable today and there's good medicine for it. But back in Jesus' day, 2,000 years ago, it was pretty much an incurable disease. Let me tell you about it as a disease. 
Uh, it was a skin, a hor- uh, sorry, a painful skin condition, and it was one that could last for a long time, sometimes up for decades. It started with some red open sores, which were incredibly sensitive and also painful, as you can imagine. And, and as a result, you wouldn't bath yourself because it just hurt too much. So as a result, not only did they have these sores, but they were quite dirty. Over time, they would eventually get serious nerve damage from the leprosy. And it will eventually also lead to numbness in their fingers and their toes. And so if they hit their fingers or toes, then it could end up breaking them and then hence losing them. This condition physically was painful, but also socially it was terrible. You see, back then, if you were a leper in society, you were ostracized from the community. You weren't allowed to live in the main cities or towns. You had to go live out in isolation so you wouldn't be near anyone and you wouldn't, I guess, make anyone else get leprosy. You see, still today, leprosy is quite highly contagious, but back then, people had a wrong understanding as to how contagious it was. And so whenever someone discovered that someone had leprosy, everyone would step back. You know, just like conversations today, if you hear someone saying they had gastro or they've been vomiting, have you noticed you automatically step back a little bit? People would have been doing that all the time with leprosy to the point that they're saying, get out of our towns. You know, socially, this would have been terrible. But on top of that, the the Jewish religious leaders, the people who knew God's word and were meant to help people love one another, created additional rules for lepers, such as you weren't allowed to touch a leper or you weren't allowed to be near a leper. And as a result, it made it even more difficult for them. I want you to feel the weight of this leper's hopelessness. Emotionally, I want you to feel the weight of this. I want you to imagine if you were this leper that comes before Jesus, that your spouse was this leper or your child was this leper. Imagine one day you got healthy skin and the next day you get this rash that spreads. And before you know it, you're not living in your home, but you're living away from your home. You're not living with your family or friends. You don't have any friends and your family doesn't want any to be near you. You, don't, you can't find work. Instead, you've got to beg for a living. This is a terrible condition with that in mind, let's now see what he does. Let's look at verse 12 again. When he saw Jesus, that's the leper, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him. You know, maybe people back then were like, what's this leper doing here? This is the town. He should be out of here. He shouldn't be here. He's got leprosy. He begs Jesus. You imagine him quivering with his voice, tears coming down his eyes as he's desperate. And what does he say? He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I want us to focus there for a How does he treat Jesus? You see, when he comes before Jesus, he comes before him like Peter. He humbles himself before Jesus and also he puts his faith in Jesus. You see, firstly, he humbles himself before Jesus. He falls down to the face to the ground before him in, in almost in, a, in an action of worship. Have you noticed that he comes before Jesus and it's like he worships Jesus. He calls him Lord like Peter did. And it's almost like he worships Jesus and then says, if you're willing, can you make me clean? How humble is that? You see, it's quite arrogant actually to go to before God and say, God, if you heal me, then I'll believe in you. This leper comes before Jesus with humility, but then second, he comes to with faith. You know, did you notice he didn't say, Jesus, you know, if you're able to, he says, if you're willing to, because I know you can. And then what happens? Well, verse 13, I love this. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. I wonder how long it had been since this man had been touched by another human being. Maybe years, maybe decades. You know, he desperately wants Jesus to heal him, but he's probably just expecting Jesus to heal him by word, 
but instead he receives a touch. How incredible is Jesus? How amazing and compassionate is he? How much power and authority does he have? He changes people's lives. He makes the unclean clean. He helps the hopeless and the desperate. He is a God who brings those who are outside back inside. It's an incredible story about how Jesus changes people's lives. After this, what occurs is Jesus then says to this leper, he says, hey, uh, look, you need to go uh, make some sacrifices. You need to follow Leviticus 14, that's um, part of the law, and go to the priests. And uh, we don't know if he does that or not, but what we find out as well is that this leper starts to tell people about Jesus. And so more and more people come to Jesus asking to be healed by him. And we know that because Jesus is a healer, he does this. But then in verse 16, we see this interesting note. It says this, it says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Which makes you ask, why? You know, there's all these sick people everywhere. There's probably lots of lepers now coming to Jesus. And instead of healing everyone, he ends up going away and praying. Like, why does Jesus sleep? Why doesn't Jesus just permanently heal people all the time? Well, Jesus is in the business of changing people's lives, yes. And he does change some people's lives physically, yes. But ultimately, he came to do something greater than that to change people's lives spiritually. And we'll learn more about that in this next story about the paralytic. And so let's have a look at this. Chapter 5, verse 17. Just go up on the screen, hopefully. No, 17 won't. All right, let me read out 17. Okay, it says this. One day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was trying to heal. The power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. So let me explain what's going on here, right? So uh, on one day, Jesus is in a town and basically he's um, at someone's house and he's having a Bible study or, or what we call here at our church, a home group. And so there's lots of people gathered in this home group and all the people there are religious people, teachers of the laws, scribes, Pharisees from all over Judea and Jerusalem. So there's lots of people in this house and Jesus is there most likely teaching them the word of God. And then what happens? Well, Obviously, word got out that Jesus is a healer. And in that town, there were some men who had a friend who was a paralytic. And they loved their friend and they wanted their friend to be healed. And so what do they do is they go to the household and they can't fit in because there's too many religious people in the way, not letting a paralytic in. And so what do they do is like, all right, how do, we get Jesus, how do we get this paralytic to our friend Jesus? So they walk up the stairs of the house, which they would have had back then on their houses. And it was a flat roof, most likely. And then they probably have tiles there. And they took away the tiles. And then they somehow some rope system. One of them's probably an engineer. And he's like lowering the guy down to the ground. And then the paralytic's like, hey, Jesus, you know, it, like it's an incredible story. And like, I want you to you know, like, feel the gravity of this. It's pretty ridiculous. You know, like imagine if this happened today. Like imagine if people did this at Tim Kimes' house. I don't even know if he has a house. In his unit block, let's say he somehow went down and did that. Like don't do that, by the way, to your home group leaders. Don't do that. You know, respect their roofs. But, you know, this is an insane story. And I hope you pick up that it shows how desperate this paralytic was and his friends were. You know, this paralytic would have been as outcast in society as the leper. And so like the leper, like Peter, he humbles himself before Jesus. He makes himself look ridiculous in front of all these important people. And he puts his faith in Jesus, and so do his friends. What happens? Well, let's look at verse 20. It's up on the screen now. It says this, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. And then verse 25, immediately he, that's a paralytic, stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God, 
They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. It's pretty incredible. Jesus heals him. And, and I wonder if you picked up on here, he's probably expecting Jesus to touch him, but instead Jesus heals him with words. Jesus' power is here on display. His compassion and his authority over sickness, and it's incredible. But I tell you what's even more incredible than his ability to heal is his ability to forgive sins. Let me give you two reasons why that's even more incredible. Reason number one, because it demonstrates that he is God. That he's God. Like, did you notice how the Pharisees rightly so say, who is this man? Only God alone can forgive sins. And they're right. And that's because Jesus is God. It's incredible. The fact that if he can forgive sins demonstrates that he's God. But what's also incredible about this is actually that the paralytic's greatest need was not to be spiritually healed. I mean, not to be physically healed, but actually was to be spiritually healed, was to have his sins forgiven. And truth be told, that's our greatest need here today as well. It's spiritually, not physically, is our greatest need. Like I know at times we can get distracted, but I want to be honest with you. What you need in your life for the sake of your joy is not actually a bigger house. It's not actually a nicer car. It's not a healthier body. It's not more kids or some kids. It's not obedient kids. It's not more friends. Your greatest need is not physical, but it is spiritual. Your greatest need is to have the forgiveness of sins and have eternal life. Because the truth be told is, even though this might be uncomfortable for me to say, each and every one of us in this room by nature are just as sinful as Peter, as his paralytic, and also the leper. You see, truth be told, if there was a leper here today standing right next to me, you know, I'd be freaking out. I'd be disgusted by how filthy he is. And that is the same of how God feels in response to our sin. So truth be told is naturally we have spiritual leprosy, an incurable condition that makes us insensitive to sin, that separates us from God and other people and leads to eternal death. And so like that leper, we need to be made clean. Like this paralytic, we need to be forgiven of our sins. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is the one who makes this possible. You know, Jesus who left God the Father's side to become an ordinary man, just like Peter, like a fisherman, but he was a carpenter. Jesus who took on our hideous disease, like leprosy, but it was called sin. Jesus who became an outcast to his generation. Jesus who went to insane lengths to heal us spiritually by being crucified on a cross. You see, the good news of the gospel, what we preach in week in, week out, is that Jesus can make us clean, that he can remove the filth of our sin, that Jesus can give us forgiveness, that he can forgive us of our sin, that Jesus can heal our broken soul. How? Well, through the cross. Through the cross where Jesus took on our filth and gave us his perfection, where Jesus took the punishment we deserved and then gave us the gift of forgiveness. At the cross where Jesus' body was broken so our souls may be healed. As long as we put our faith in him and humble ourselves before him. That's the good news of the gospel. I love it and I hope you do too. Because you see, Jesus is in business of changing people's lives. And ultimately that is demonstrated not just through these stories, but through the good news of the cross. And what he does for us. You see, Jesus changes these people's lives, but I want to make it clear, he can also change your life too. For those of you here tonight who wouldn't necessarily call yourself a Christian, can I, just, can I just tell you this? Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose for you. 
Jesus will forgive you of your sin. He will cleanse your heart. He will impact your life for generations. He will impact your life with a legacy. Jesus is amazing. Jesus is God. Jesus is good. And Jesus will change your life. And he will remove the guilt and shame of your sin, cleanse you and give you freedom. As long as we humble ourselves before him and put our faith in him. See, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, or what's been done to you. You cannot be too dirty to be cleansed by Jesus. I've got two boys, like I said, and uh, whenever they're naughty, I always know because, number one, they're silent. But number two, they have this common uh, pattern of always, when they're naughty, going under my study desk and, hide, and, and, um, and hiding there. Uh, yesterday, I went to my study desk to prepare for this sermon, and I didn't find my boys there. But I, what I did find was some lint chocolate you know, the sea salt caramel type, the best type. Uh, it was half eaten on the floor with the wrapper everywhere. Now, I was looking forward to that chocolate that night. Like, I love that chocolate. Um, and most people, right, you probably got this five-second rule when you go, okay, if it's been on the ground for less than five seconds, it's okay, pick it up, you can eat it. It's fine. It's not too dirty, right? What I want to say to you is um, I didn't do that, confession. Uh, I picked it up, washed it off, ate it later that night because it tastes that good. Uh, but I also want to say to you is this, is um, Jesus doesn't have a five-second rule. Like, he's not like, nah, you're too filthy, you've, you've done too many things, you can't be forgiven or cleansed. Jesus cleanses everyone. That's the great news of the gospel. No one is unsavable, no one is unchangeable. Jesus is in the business of changing people's lives. If you're yet to give your life to him, can I encourage you to do so? You'll not regret it. But then for those of us who are already Christians, who have already been saved by Jesus, what I want to say to you this is when Jesus saves you, he saves you so he can keep on changing you. He saves you so he can sanctify you, so he can make you more holy. He, he makes you holy so that you will be holy. He wants to keep working through your life so you may be more like him. How does he do this? Well, how do we do this? Sorry, he wants you to kill your sin, number one. But number two, he also wants you to put on righteousness. He wants you to become more like him. He wants you to put on the gifts of the Holy, uh, the fruits of the Spirit, sorry. And so look, at the start of this talk, I asked you, what's one thing in your life you wish you could change? If you're a Christian here tonight, I want you now to think, what's one thing in your life that God wants you to change? Is there some sin in your life that He wants you to let go of and kill and repent of? Is there some characteristic of Jesus that He wants you to work on and become more like? What is one thing that you can change tonight? And can I encourage you not to be apathetic about this? You see, what my challenge for you tonight from the scriptures is that we humble ourselves before God. And I think the root of um, apathy is just pride. As you go, I don't need God. I don't need to change. You know, truth be told, like I always mourn whenever I pray with people and we go through uh, prayer requests and people are like, oh, I've got nothing to pray about. To me, I'm just like, man, have you read the scriptures? Have you, have you read the Apostle Paul? This guy is intense. He's constantly talking about how he wants to grow to be more like Christ. He talks about how he's not yet achieved his goal of salvation. He talks about how we should work at our salvation with fear and trembling. He's constantly encouraging us and wants people to be growing in holiness. May we not be apathetic of change. But number two, may we not be fatalistic. And be like, God can't change me. He can't change my friends' lives. May we put our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, just like the people in this story, like just like these disciples, how they leave everything and trust that Jesus will change people. Or what about the friends of the paralytic? How incredible is their faith? What lengths they go towards to get their friend healed before Jesus? What is one thing you can change? 
personally, as I was reflecting on this sermon, it just hit me hard in regards to the faith of these paralytic friends and the lengths they were going to just to physically heal their friend, let alone spiritually bring people to know Jesus and have the forgiveness of sins. Church, Jesus changes people. He saves people, but he also sanctifies them and makes them more like him. My hope is, is that you understand that and you have a desire just like Christ and like Paul to grow in holiness. When I was uh, about 16 years old, uh, just before I became a, a Christian, my parents bought a dog. It was this golden retriever uh, called Dakota, super cute, as a little puppy. Uh, and I loved that dog until I ended up moving out of home and uh, getting a wife, um, which is better than a dog. I love my dog. But anyway, um, for the last week, my uh, parents, who still have Dakota, uh, have gone on a holiday to Bali. And so uh, us Deacon clan are looking after Dakota. Uh, Dakota's not a pup anymore. She's now 13 years old, and she's this 60-kilogram, lovely golden retriever dog uh, who, I'm honest, doesn't have much long to live. Uh, And as I was prepping for this sermon last night, she was next to me uh, just like she was 13 years ago when I was studying for exams. And I was reflecting on how Jesus has changed my life. I grew up in a non-Christian family. I didn't know about Jesus. And when I was about 16, the same time that I got Dakota, someone shared the good news of the gospel with me. How Jesus cleanses me, forgives me of my sin. And for the last 13 years of my life, I've just been able to reflect and think about how Jesus has been working through me, helping me kill sin and become more like his son, Jesus. And life has not panned out as I expected. I haven't turned into that hypothetical Bob that I thought I would be. Yet nevertheless, I know Jesus is good and he is glorious. And that even though change can be painful and hard, that it is worth it. And I'm thankful for that. If you're a Christian here tonight, may I encourage you that God has been changing you and will continue to change you. My my plea to you is that you don't be apathetic or fatalistic about this, but you put your faith in Christ and continue to humble yourself before him, asking that he continues to transform you from one degree to the next to be more like Jesus Christ. And for those of you who feel like a failure, this is my final encouragement, look to Peter. Like what I love about Peter is he just keeps on failing. Like he just keeps on like, you know, he, he goes to rebuke Jesus. That was a bad play. Uh, and, and then he denies Jesus. And, and then he decides to eat with the Jews and not with the Gentiles. And then Paul rebukes him. Like he just keeps on failing. And yet he also understands the gospel. He knows there's forgiveness. He knows there's grace. And he just keeps on trying, keeps on going. Knows that he has been cleansed to be clean. Knows that he's been loved to go love. He understands the good news of the gospel. It's not about what he does, but what Christ has done. And that motivates him to change. We talk about the gospel a lot here at our church, and we will never will stop doing that. It's because the gospel saves us, but the gospel also changes us. And so my hope is, is that you will never stop being blown away by what Christ has done for you at the cross. How about I pray to close? Father God, we have got so many things in our life that we wish we could change. And Lord, we know that you want to change us as well. For those of us who are far from you, Lord, I pray that you bring them near. For those of us, Lord, who have got sin in our life, Lord, I pray that you help us to kill it. For those of us uh, who've got parts in our character that need to be more like Christ, we pray that you equip us by your Spirit to grow in godliness and holiness. Father, I pray that you help us to humble ourselves before you and to put faith, put us to put our faith in you and what you do and your mission to seek and save the lost. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.